Coming to you from Helping Our Music Evolve in Nashville, this is The Quinn Spin. Hey now! And welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, one and all, to a brand new edition of The Quinn Spin. I'm your host, The Quinn. We're back here at Helping Our Music Evolve for yet another rousing installment of our official podcast. The official podcast, of course, of Underground Music Collective. You just heard Revel 9's All I've Become, our opening theme song now and pretty much forever. It's been that way since the great year of 2014, and I don't see that changing anytime soon, quite frankly. So a little bit of a different uh, format today. We're going to have Christopher Paul Stelling on the show. I had a chance to talk to Christopher over the phone, and you're about to hear that interview. Of course, he just came out with a new album, Best of Luck. Back on February 7th, he worked with the great Ben Harper, who produced the record. And we're going to talk about Christopher's journey. We're going to talk about his journey, of course, in the early days and also leading up to this album and what that process was like. So Christopher Paul Stelling joining us on the show, and I'm going to bring you right to that interview. Hello, everybody. As I just mentioned a moment ago, I am joined today on the Quinn Spin by Mr. Christopher Paul Stelling. New album, Best of Luck, just came out February 7th, a little bit earlier this month. Christopher's joining me on the phone right now. Christopher, thank you so much for taking time out of your day here today. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to have you. So I ask every guest of the show three standard questions from now to the end of time. And those three questions, you can feel free to answer these however you like, are, Mm -hmm. who are you? What do you do, and why on earth would you want to come on the Quinn Spin? Okay, um, my name is Christopher Paul Stelling. I'm a songwriter and guitarist, and um, well, I got this new record, so I'm just uh, making the rounds and talking to anybody that'll talk to me about it until I hit the road, um, and uh, you know, and then I'll then I'll be on the road for a long, long time, and then I'll crawl under a rock and um, slowly reemerge eventually with another record and do it all over again <laughs> just un- 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 until the end of time yeah yeah that's pretty much it that's pretty there there's really no finish line it's pretty much just you know <clears throat> go through the cycle and do it a little bigger each time right well hopefully yeah yeah <laughs> well let's talk about from the beginning here so i want to know mm-hmm. how you got started on this creative journey of yours so influence as far as artists but also the people places experiences that inspired you growing up and how that all led you down this creative path sure you know i i guess starting off i never really did um you know the idea of like emulating i I have songwriters that i like but the idea of really just like emulating one or really wanting to be a singer and a songwriter is just kind of not really the way it played out. Like I did, did a lot of theater as a kid. You know, I probably sang and played guitar on stage like for the first time uh, when I was pretty young. Like doing some musical theater, I played like Will Rogers. You know, and I did like a version of Will Rogers Follies. I sang in church. Um, I took guitar lesson. I took a couple of guitar lessons. You know, when I was like. 10 or 11 and so and then I got really interested in books and reading and literature and poetry and so I mean you know the the con the concept of really a singer and songwriter is not that old I mean it's only like barely barely one or two generations old right Mm -hmm. and um, we forget that sometimes and um, you know I'm not saying that I 
came to it on my own without influences, but like wanting to be a guitar player, being interested in words, being used to um, being on stage and performing and, you know, emulating like in that play, like Will Rogers or, or you know, I was in like a Tom Sawyer musical. I'm, I'm talking, this is like fifth and sixth grade, right? Yeah. And then like in the, in the high school. So those things kind of like came together and I knew I was interested in performing. I knew I was interested in singing. I knew I was interested in words and I loved to play the guitar. And I never really learned to play like a lot of songs. You know, there's always that dude at the party that can play like every song you've ever heard. Right. I was never that, I was never that guy. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I would just like, there was a guitar and I would pick it up and I would just kind of screw around on it. Mm -hmm. I was more interested in like, just kind of making up my own thing or kind of like improving or just kind of like fiddling around with it. So all those things kind of came together in a nice way um, for a creative process to eventually evolve. Well, of course, you, you know, know there, there are a lot of starts and stops, I think, no matter what you do in the creative sphere, right? There are always going to be things you try out. I came into it late. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't start like really... Um, putting out records until I was in my, you know, until I was, I put out my first record when I was 30. Mm -hmm. I spent like a lot of my twenties, like making little instrumental guitar recordings and sound collages and like um, writing, mm -hmm. like writing poetry. And like, I kind of kept all those, all the worlds separate. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And then they kind of came back together again. I maybe like tried to do a singer songwriter thing when I was like 19 or 20 and I just, I was like, no, this is not, this is not developed. So I kind of broke the parts apart, you know, yeah. maybe in the back of my mind, I always wanted to do it, but I kind of like, I kind of like focused on all of the elements somewhat separately. Mm -hmm. And then when it, then when it came together and I started, I moved to New York city and just started, um, with just a guitar and, and. You know, somebody asked me at one point when I was like 25 if I wanted to play a show when I was doing like the sound collage, like weird instrumental loopy thing. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of like, I kind of freaked out and I was like, I can't bring, I had like pedals and stuff and I was like, I can't bring all this to a show. And I'd always been interested in folk music, you know, right. I'd always been interested in Dylan or like the, you know, the Harry Smith anthology or like Guthrie or like early, early folk music. And early blues like country blues and you know i kind of made up my mind that there's just nothing there's nothing less than about like a dude and a guitar right or or a woman of course or a woman and a guitar a person and a guitar there's nothing um there's nothing less than in fact like some of my favorite musical moments have just been an individual and an instrument so i just kind of kind of reconciled that and just kind of gave it a shot and then it just kind of Somewhat, I wouldn't say spun out of control, but like it kind of took on a life of its own. What do you attribute that to? You know, what 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 would you say is different? You know, with this go round to where you've seen the success that you've seen. Yeah, I'm still trying to quantify. Sort of, I guess this is success. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh -huh. like, okay, like I've you know I've been able to I've done, I've. It's an interesting conundrum when you've kind of greatly exceeded any 
any success that you th- thought might be attainable in the beginning. Right. And you're still sitting here like, okay, this is, so I guess this is, I guess this is it. Like, yeah. um, you know, we're, we're living in like the age of the working class musician. Mm-hmm. Right. We're, we're living in the age of like people who perceptually have had success, but are still like trying to pay their bills and trying to figure out how to manage the, the financial elements of, of it in an industry that's just kind of shifted so far towards minuscule returns. Right. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody's going to, you know, and so, so the live element, luckily I really love touring. Yeah. And so that's helped me out a lot. Like Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I'll go out and play, you know, 80, a hundred shows at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll go out and tour three or four months at a time. So that's, what's kind of kept me afloat. Right. Is the live the live performance as far as like as far as like success on a on a streaming front or a sales front? Eh, it's kind of eluded me, right. but um, I'm I mean, I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm on I'm on a great label. I have a great team, but it's it's still hard. There's a lot of there's a lot out there. Uh, of course, there's more content than ever to actually digest. And I think you know to touch on your point about trying to quantify success i think we all go through that too you know i think it's something that totally. you know it's not as pretty as it looks from the outside and we're the ones that see our grind you know for what it is warts and all you know everyone else sees the stuff we put out on social media everyone else sees you know the pretty finished product for whatever it is but like you know where you know as they say where they make the sausage in the factory like that's that's us and that's why you know oftentimes people have to tell us we're successful because often we don't feel mm. as creatives no matter how far we get yeah the fact that somebody wants to talk to me is a certain the fact that somebody like you wants to talk to me is a certain level of of success you know um i'm sure there's a lot of like sort of my peers and people that are maybe even doing better than i am you know that you know social this the social media aspect of everything kind of skews it you know we're all, everybody's kind of glued to their phones at the moment only because that's where everything is. But, you know, I, I really wouldn't doubt if in the next couple of years there's a pushback where, where people are just kind of like, you know what, this is bad for my mental health. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really make a, an effort to, to, to stare at the screens a little less. Yeah, yeah. I see um, that already happening, you know. Uh, totally, becoming, me too. I definitely do. Yeah, yeah. It's becoming a, you know, a hot topic now about how I mean, there's studies out there and everything on how social media and too much overexposure, you know, causes you to compare and affects your mental health. And, you know, I, I agree. I think we're going to see that push back toward, you know, trying to actually engage with our world. I mean, I hope we do personally, you know, since, yeah. since the guy who's always online and always, you know, runs his entire thing online. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, it's, um, I mean, this is kind of like a, we're kind of doing like a sort of um, industry-esque, like people that are involved kind of podcast here, right? right. We're kind mm-hmm. of doing, so I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a, a topic of conversation amongst um, my friends and I, you know, and um, you know how do we how do we share? How do we not annoy ourselves? And how do we also make space for the creativity? Because that doesn't creativity doesn't take place in that space. Right, right, right. And and it, creativity takes place in a quiet, um, reflective, still space. At least, and, and sometimes amongst chaos. But really finding 
finding that moment um, amongst the chaos, you know? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. Yeah, it all comes down to writing, really, mm-hmm. and commitment. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I think, you know, when you're so tied to, you know, being in front of the screen, you know, you're on autopilot to a degree, you know, you're not really kind of in your own mind and really thinking through like, you know, your process that way. You're kind of, you're worried about putting out the product, you know, but you're not creating that product. You know, those two things are in a lot of ways, mutually exclusive of one another, you know, when you're talking sure. about social media, I think. Sure. Sure. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, what I'm really interested in is um, is the struggle to create the time and space for um, writing and recording. Right, right. Because that's what's going to outlive us, mm-hmm. and that's that's truly what's going to inspire um, n- n- new, hopefully even if it's just one person, uh, a new generation of people to continue uh, the creative pursuit, mm-hmm. the, the way that we were inspired by artists when we were younger. That's really, that's kind of like an important thing to me. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, like if, <laughs> if, one, if one kid found a record of mine at a, at a, at a Salvation Army or a Goodwill, <laughs> you know, and it turned them on, to something, you know, or even if they like it inspired them to write a song or do something like that, that would be, that's like the ultimate to me. Yeah. And that impact, you know, it, it ripples, you know, through whatever they create then and who, who mm. inspire, you know, it's something that like you say, it does carry on, you know, it does have the chance to really carry on and live on through different people. You know, um, mm-hmm. we just received news, uh, the, day before we're recording this about Neil Peart and his passing Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the impact, the influence he has on generations of drummers, you know, and they they now carry that forward into their music and into their, yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't really know much about, about him or, I mean, I know, uh, you know, I know a little bit. It's Rush, right? It's yes. the guy from Rush. Mm-hmm. And, and I've listened to, I've, you know, I've encountered some Rush. It's not my thing. But I do know that just about every drummer I've ever played with, starting with, like, the first drummer in my first band in high school, you know, had his Neil Peart sticks. Yeah. You know, he had his Neil Peart signature sticks. And, and so, like, that was his thing, you know. And this isn't in the age before YouTube videos. And so that's still somehow translated and influenced um, someone's someone's life. And, you know, one of the things that's really still compelling about music to me is that, like, if um, if it's if it's really good and you really love it, you're going to tell people about it. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to get to the point where I'm less and less concerned with how it's going out, when it's going out. and, and, and just trying to stay concerned with um, that I'm putting out the best thing I can right. and, and just trusting that, that it's going to find um, some ears. Mm-hmm. You know, what's really interesting to me uh, is um, when I do see like a number here and there, right? Yeah. Um, uh, like when somebody from, from my team at my label or something sends me some numbers, um, like Shazam, I think is probably the coolest thing in the world. Uh-huh. You know, like seeing a Shazam number, because that means like somebody encountered um, 
your music like somewhere in the ether, maybe in a coffee shop or maybe like out in the wild. And it caught <laughs> you their know? ear, yeah. And they, they want to learn more about it in that moment. You know, that's how cool. That's one that's of the biggest cool. compliments. Yeah. <laughs> to me to me this is a compliment. Mm-hmm. Like um so that's that's one cool thing about technology for me right now is like um and I just realized it makes a playlist for you. Mm-hmm. So I can go back and listen to all the sh- songs I shazammed last year. Oh wow. See, I didn't <laughs> yeah. even know that. I didn't even know yeah. that. I, I don't How have cool Shazam myself, but you know, I, I know what it is, obviously. But yeah, I didn't oh, yeah, even know she... it makes a playlist for you. So it kinda huh. gives you something to look back on and, you know, revisit. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Like I was watching I really love the show Better Things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Pamela Aldean's show, my, my partner and I were watching it last night, and there was this beautiful song in it, and I was like, oh, what is that? And then we looked, and it wasn't on Shazam, but it was in the credits, and it was this woman, uh, Karina, mm-hmm. rap, and, um, you know, like, I had dinner with her and, like, an agent of mine in, like, Lisbon a couple of years ago, um, because she was finishing a tour, and I was starting a tour, mm-hmm. and we both had the same agent, and we were each there for one night, so we all got together and had dinner and i was just like oh that's so wild that i like encountered her music um just by like watching a tv show and i was like that's really familiar and then figured it out through using shazam or using you know what was available um pretty cool man yeah you know pretty neat one uh, one pivot I want to make because we did talk about influence, uh, you know yeah. how artists can influence others. Um, mm. Ben Harper has obviously been a big influence for you. First encountering him uh, with some opening spots uh, mm-hmm. a little while back. So I want to give you a chance to talk about your first encounters with Ben and how that has impacted your career. To sure, this point. Ben looms large in my life. Um, you know, I'd put out. My first record for Anti Records uh, in 2015, mm-hmm. and I embarked on like yet another monster tour. Uh, I think I had been to Europe like it was like the second year of that cycle. I was coming in. T- I was just about to start like year two, and I remember I was like sitting in a parking lot in Austin in my van trying to figure out where I was going to sleep mm-hmm. and trying to like sort of sort of quantify if I would even be able to afford a hotel room that night you know right. and um or if I was just going to sleep in the back of the van which I usually did mm-hmm. um and uh, I got an email from uh, the fellow who wrote the bio uh for the album mm-hmm. you know like the the writer yeah uh who had become a friend of mine mm-hmm. through the process of doing some interviews to, to put the bio together. Right. And he, he had sent me a, like an email and asked if he said that, um, you know, he had been thinking like he had grown up with, with Ben mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe, um, if it was cool with me, which was kind of ridiculous, uh, if it was cool with me, he'd like to send Ben the record. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then a couple of days later, he had sent Ben the record, and Ben really liked the record, so he like introduced us, and I was just like, "Wow, cool to meet you," you know, um, awesome. And then I think I was just like, "If you ever need an opener, yeah, <laughs> you know? just kind of throw you slide that in there, just in case." Yeah, yeah. I mean, or if you ever want to get together, or if you're ever, you know, I'll keep an eye on your tour dates because that's kind of how our, you know, and he, you know, Ben was really just really sweet about the album 
and um, you know, I think I like sent him a note a couple months later, and I was in, and then I was in, I was in Milan, mm-hmm. Italy, like about to play a show in this little small club, when I got the email from his like manager or agent or something like that at the time. And they were like, oh, Ben wants you to do these, like, 25 dates. 25? And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, You were just hoping for I, one, huh? One or two. <laughs> I just wanted to meet I just wanted to meet the guy, yeah. you know? I, th- yeah. I, think he's, I think he's cool. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, um, and, then, and then it just kind of, it worked out. And I, I got to play, you know, he, he was playing on this tour. I mean, it was like the first tour with his original band in 10 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we played the Ryman and Massey Hall and the Beacon and like uh, the Tennessee Theater and the Bijou and like just all these incredible rooms. I mean, for like a couple, you know, somewhere between like, like two nights in the 930 club like and i was going out and playing for like i was just hoping 50 people would show up for years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i still am hoping 50 people show up right i mean like legit Mm -hmm. and but i mean just to know that i could so i did it and like it was just so cool to realize that like the years that i put in i could walk on stage in front of like that many people thousands of people and it worked mm-hmm. because i didn't know i thought maybe i'd get swallowed up by the room but you know his fans are just so dedicated mm-hmm. and such great listeners and are also like really going to listen up to anything he puts in front of them because he's been doing that for his audience for a long time mm-hmm. like introducing them to new music yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. and so um yeah, it really, it was really just an, uh, it, it, it kind of propelled, it kind of kept that record cycle going because after I did that, I, I did another, um, I, I, I took off and did all of those same cities that I did with them like a second time, like as a small headliner. Yeah. And, um, and then I went in the studio and did, a, you know, I went to Europe a bunch again and then I went to, um, I went in the studio and did this record itinerant arias, which was kind of like it's like um it was recorded like the may maybe the may before this the November election mm-hmm. um where where we um received uh what we're now dealing um, with de- dealing with <laughs> so this is a couple this is a couple of years a couple yeah. of years ago, so the record kind of came out right around. Um, then, and then I took out a band and kind of did that and, and, um, you know, putting out a record in the aftermath of like what was happening politically and especially like, a when I turned in the record <laughs> to the label, I remember, uh, the sort of president of the label was like, so you're writing a record from the perspective of like <laughs> the sort of like regime change. And I was like, yeah, that's what's going to happen mm-hmm. because I'd been out. You know, and, and a lot of the record was, um, a lot of the songs were based on like um, a lot of the nationalism I was seeing in Europe while I was touring, or at least like it was influenced with that kind of like dark cloud hanging yeah. over. Like, mm-hmm. like, pretty sure I see something on the horizon, like some ugly shit. 
and um you know it's certainly uh, interesting uh, to see now you know looking back a few years how i can't believe people didn't see it yeah <laughs> yeah like from a mile away you know and you know generally you know i try not to go too far down this rabbit hole on the show but like it was coming from a mile away the entire time that entire election cycle you know yeah yeah yeah, we yeah. always going to wind up with this result and now eventually yeah yeah and i kind of see it happening again you know because it feels like it feels much the same in terms of what people are choosing to focus on you know you know mm, building yeah you know I, I think there needs to be much more focus on building the platform to defeat what we have if in fact that's the goal but i, yeah. I don't see that happening in a unified way right now you know it's like i've spent luckily like in a real sort of blessed way i've spent so much time over overseas at least in europe that like i don't know like i feel like an american but i also i feel just a match of a kinship with anybody in the world like mm -hmm. you know i don't have like a strong sense of the only strong sense I have is of like sort of fairness, right? Or at least what I perceive to be fairness, which mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. which is literally equality across the board. Yeah. Um. And it worry. It, it, it's it's embarrassing, really. You know, it's it's an it's an embarrassment, and it's going to be a stain that we're going to have to recover and from. But we probably shouldn't. We probably shouldn't. I, I'm sure that there's people listening to this that don't agree with me, and that's fine. But, you know, that's what the arts and music are all about, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it's going to take a long time in general <clears> to kind of get everybody back on the same page, if it's even possible at this point. You know, that's that's going to be a real challenge going forward. Probably for, you know, it's going to be a generational challenge, I think. Sure, if it doesn't, if it doesn't have more, uh, you know, even more undesirable um, consequences. Um, but, you know, it's... At least we have still have some sort of democratic process in place that has uh, disenabled um, some sort of full-on takeover. Had the had certain things not been in place, it would be a lot worse. To okay. kind of keep the rain keep the reins on it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be it would be great not to have a figurehead and just to have like a, a true democracy of elected people. Um, but whatever. Yeah. yeah whatever. That's, but that's, it does. That's, <laughs> thing for a different day i guess you know in terms of well i mean Pixar. you know there's the whole there's the whole like shut up and shut up and sing argument mm -hmm. or whatever but it's like i don't know if if uh what did willie nelson say you can't make a record if you ain't got nothing to say and you can't have nothing to say if you don't think about things well exactly right you know and your platform is yours to use however you want to use it you know i'm yeah i'm not one to you know say artists, entertainers should stay out of that sphere because look, we're all citizens. We're all part of making this larger thing go. We're all entitled to our opinions and we're all entitled to have our ideas of how to approach these things. And I just worry about the kids, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big, I, I have a lot of friends right now, you know, cause I'm in my thirties and I have a lot of friends, you know, who either have kids or are hesitant to have children because they feel a responsibility to not bring anyone into the current state of things. Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, like, I, I I think I think it's almost like a sort of you know when um when when the election happened, I remembered I remembered at first like kind of grumbling. Well, if this guy blah blah blah, I'm not coming. I was in Europe, you know, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not coming home. I'm just gonna. And I bought a one way ticket, mm -hmm. you know, and like in my mind, my 
wife, wife and I were going to stay. Mm-hmm. And and the day after the election, I felt a strong sense of like I got to go home. Right. <laughs> I got to be with my I got to be with my people. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we have to we have to we have to grieve and we got to get over it and we got to like we got to keep fighting the good fight. Um, yeah, I think it's all a matter of what you choose, how you choose to look at it, right, and how you choose to approach it after the fact. You know, am I going mm. to just let this keep me away and keep me out of it, or am I going to try to offer something to alleviate the issue, to to make you know, to inspire more camaraderie as opposed to well, more division? Well, as a uh, as a, um, sorry, I was blowing a. I'm releasing a little bug that got into my house, into the wild here. Um, <laughs> a, um, you know, as a nice segue, just as you mentioned, like uh, the creative process at least helps one process. So, you know, leading up to that, I had been sort of processing my my emotions in a in kind of a prescient way, but but as we discussed, it wasn't that it. it it should have been more obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this this record, you know, I I I recorded a record after I toured with Ben, mm-hmm. you know, and that was, you know, that record is brooding and it's deep and it also has like moments of hope and things. But um, I put that out into the world like right after the election, mm-hmm. and it was just like, I mean, so many people were in shock I feel and like I remember just being glued to the news like when am I going to find out that it's all fucking coming you know it's, right. it was a much more gradual process you know now a couple of years later everything's on fire yeah. but we were definitely expecting it literally uh, we were definitely expecting it sooner right. um, so making this record was like a Part of the thing is like as very soon after that happened, mm-hmm. um, I got sober because I was kind of like, I was kind of leaning into my um, dark side a little bit. You know, right. the record didn't do as well as I had hoped. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the tour was very expensive because I, you know, you think maybe your expenses would double taking out a band, but they they quadruple if not quintuple. Wow. You know, it was very expensive taking out a band. You know, and some some nights some nights you lose money. Mm-hmm. For sure. Because I because I have to because I pay my guys. You know, it's yeah. not a it's not really a band. It's like I hire musicians that I respect and trust and bring them on the road. And it's like, you know, everybody gets paid before I get paid mm-hmm. if I'm car- if I'm carrying a band. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so, uh, you know, I came home like pretty beat up. So I got sober. And I just kind of looked at my, I figured, you know, I can't really change anything about the world at all. Mm-hmm. All I can change is like myself and how I deal with it. And if I can deal with it in a better way, I mean, this also, this is all, again, very obvious, but if I could deal with it in a better way, then that's the change I can make. Right. You know? Right. And it's like, there's nothing more, there's nothing more obnoxious to me than just blatant optimism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But optimism in spite of difficulties. Right. Like optimism that acknowledges the the struggle, at least. Of course. You know, and I think, you know... That's an optimism I trust. Yeah. Yeah. And we all, I think, you know, I think 
all of us come to some defining point like that in our lives, right? Whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, the state of the world, whether it's a relationship mm-hmm. that didn't work out, whether it's the loss of a loved one, there are all these things that happen in our lives that aren't good, you know, but mm-hmm. we can't control them. All we can control, right. as the cliche goes, and this might be an obnoxious mm-hmm. cliche in itself, but, you know, we can control our reaction to these mm-hmm external things and we can focus on who we are and how we're reacting to things and use that to approach the world and to it's the most realistic it's the most realistic response it's the it's the hardest thing to control but it's the only thing you can control i quit drinking on new year or on sorry on christmas Mm -hmm. day christmas day uh 20 i guess 2018 yeah christmas day 2018 Mm -hmm. I had a pretty rough Christmas Eve. You know, I'd had, I'd tried to quit drinking a few times, and um, and you know, not just drinking, but drinking leads to other things. I'd, I'd tried a few times, and but I I never really said to myself like I quit. And right. what would happen is I'd go out and say I'm just gonna have like one drink, and next thing you know I'm buying shots, and it's just like it's crazy. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'm drinking three or four bottles of wine. It was nuts. Mm-hmm. And um. And so you know, I finally just quit, and I. I went, I kind of, I got in my car and I drove down to Northern Florida where I grew up to see my folks. Mm-hmm. I was broke. I was dry. I was like all these things. And, um, then on New Year's day, I got an email from Ben asking me saying, um, I, I think it literally said, um, Hey CP, hope you're well. Listen, I produce a couple of records a year in addition to my own, or I try to produce a couple of records a year in addition to my own. And if you'd like to go to the studio sometime soon, um, I'd be super down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I kind of hit him back. I was like, does this, you know, does this mean you want to? Actually, it took me a couple weeks because I was just kind of in shock. Yeah. And also because I didn't have any songs at the moment. Right. Um, or if I did, all of a sudden they weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, right. <laughs> so uh, we started talking. Kind of came up with a little game plan. He came through. Um, Knoxville, Tennessee, which is a couple hours from me, when he was touring with Charlie Musselwhite. And uh, we got together, had a little meeting. I'd sent some demos. And then over the course of, of the next year, I just, in between a couple of tours of, I would go to Europe, which is kind of just how I make my bread, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd go to Europe. I'd come back. I kept sending him songs. And then... Um, we were going to try to record like around Thanksgiving of that year. And it kind of got pushed back and we ended up recording in uh, the beginning of February of last year. So it's actually been almost a year mm-hmm. to the day that we, we spent seven days, maybe eight days in the studio. Mm-hmm. Ben brought in just a fantastic drummer, this guy, Jimmy Paxson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, Jimmy played with the Dixie Chicks for a long time. He played with Natalie Maines. He plays on all the Ben Harper, Charlie Musselwhite records. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy brought in this guy, Mike Valerio, who's like Randy Newman's bass player. And like, like the dude does all of like he, he's, but he's also like a, a scoring sort of prodigy, mm-hmm. you know, like he listens to the song with a staff, kind of probably like one of these Nashville guys. He kind of like jots out the numbers, you know, mm-hmm. just from, from ear. And he right. sits down and takes his first pass, and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> um, and that was cool. Yeah. Uh, we went to L.A. We did it in L.A., mm-hmm. uh, this little studio called Palomino Sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, this lovely lovely man, Jason Soda, is the engineer there. Um, 
you know, at first I think we were trying to do A and M because Ben had just wrapped the Mavis Staples record, mm-hmm. the most re- recent. Ben produced the most recent Mavis record, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then there was talk about doing it at A and M, and I, I kind of like I, that made me a little nervous. You know, yeah. that's a big stu- that's a big studio. So we settled on we settled on this really cozy, um, smaller studio. And yeah, and we just we just banged it out. You know, you know, I kind of had to. It's it was hard for me having made however many records I've made up mm-hmm. until that point. It was kind of hard for me to like working with a producer for a first time was like a learning process of like learning how to not be not be the one that's pushing everything along. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Almost be the reflective party. Right. Um, instead of the reactive. Yes. Um, and I, I learned an incredible amount about his process and the way that he likes to record and the way that he likes to approach a recording, which was cool mm-hmm. because it was very different from the way that I did it. But I also don't feel like any of me was lost in the record. Right. 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 I feel like I was actually like encouraged. I, I feel like more of myself shows on this one mm-hmm. than maybe the previous ones, but also like there was a stripping away of artifice mm-hmm. in the process through, through sobriety and reflection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was kind of like those two things hand in hand. Right. And to have somebody you work with who you really trust, you know, like, like a Ben Harper who can pull those things out of you and to have these mm. musicians to have Jimmy Pax and to have Mike Valerio around you and adding their contributions to the pot. Sure. You know, sure. That's, that's, that adds a different dynamic even, you know, sure. To, to the whole and process. also, but also it's like, you know, when, when, when Ben's giving you his time, <laughs> you know, there, there is a part of that that maybe and there, there was, there was definitely th- some ins- a lot of insecurity in the studio that I had to overcome because of that. Mm-hmm. Right? There was a lot of like, it's like, um, yes, I trust you, but do I trust me? Right. <laughs> like, and, and and him being like, well, if you trust me, then I'm telling you trust you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's it's a it was a it was a definitely an emotional journey that we went through. Um, it's really cool to have shared that. It wasn't really like I've worked with produce. I've worked with like, you know, engineer producers before, mm-hmm. but I had never worked with like a producer and an engineer. Right. Right. You know, I mean, it's mostly most of my experience has been like I hire an engineer I really trust and I just go in there and like I, what I said in maybe an interview a couple days ago that like in the studio I'm Jackson Pollock. Mm hmm. And Ben is like a a, a Rembrandt. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like yeah. mm-hmm. like he really likes to savor and step back and look at the work mm-hmm. and kind of like approach it from a couple different angles and really kind of like zero in on it mm-hmm. and focus on the light. Really set up the the scene. Mm-hmm. Like if it's a still life, you know, really really get everything in place. It's a it's a delicate touch but none of the intensity is lost on it right right. whereas i'm i'm just i just go in there with a bucket of paint and i just start throwing it at the canvas (laughs) just slosh it around see what happens yeah Yeah. Yeah. um but what was cool is like i was still able to do a little of that you know Mm, right um you know a song like hear me calling or or until i die is still like it's there's still some really fucking wild shit Mm mm-hmm but also I was able to kind of like, it's interesting. It's like the intense moments are more intense and the beautiful moments are a little bit more beautiful. It's like a, 
it's it's a little bit more three dimensional to have than, that room yeah. to create, but also have somewhere to kind of rein it in and really pull the best out of those wild, those spontaneous moments too. Like mm. that's a sweet spot, right? Because you're creating yeah. something that's true and authentic to you. And mm -hmm. it's also got this, got this nice shine on it, this nice polish on it that, you know, is going to make it ultimately ideally reach more ears, right? Because of its accessible nature. So it's good to mm. have it kind of meet in the middle that way. You know, mm. you, you don't lose anything, but at the same time, you know, there's yeah. something pulling it together. And you know, it's like it's like sometimes the artist, the artist themselves, needs to be like kind of kicked out of the room for a minute. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Like mm -hmm. in the mixing stage. I know a lot of uh, good people that work in mixing and shit like that. And the most annoying thing sometimes is having the artist in there, like, "Oh, what's that? What? what oh, can you bring that?" It's like, get out of here, man. This is a process. We're, we're, <laughs> you know. Uh -huh. And um, because I, I. I've definitely just from for for purposes of survival become a little OCD about things at times. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to learn to like flow and I'm trying to learn to like let go but also zero in a little bit. Like 38 years old and I feel like I'm just starting to creep my way, slouch my way to the threshold of beginning to learn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, which is crazy. Well, I, in my opinion, it's better to feel like you have more to learn than to feel like you've learned at all, right? I mean, you always mm -hmm. want to be growing, you know, especially, you know, in any in creative endeavor, you always want there to be growth from project to project. So mm -hmm. it, it, to me, it sounds like you're in a really good position, <laughs> you know, to create the Thanks. next thing. But of course, Thanks. yeah, of course, you know, uh, but to create it, of course, after the tour, which you're embarking upon, starting... Uh, going throughout the U.S. and then over to Europe. So I do want to mm. just pivot there and tell people what we can expect from the live shows this time around. Gosh, I think it's like 80 shows in 90 days or something stupid. Um, I don't know why I do this to myself. Um, it's going to be great. I, I think of tour as like, you know, these people that do like Ironman competitions and like run over mountains and stuff like that. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Like that's kind of how I think of tour. I really am really fueled by just getting through it. You know, I'm my stagehand. I do all the loading in and the loading out and all the driving and all the, all the tour managing. And I sell my merch. You know, I do the whole, I'm, it's me on the road. Swiss army. Like that's, <laughs> Gotta do well, it that's it. Yeah. That's just, that's just how it has. That's just how it has to be. There's not, mm -hmm. I'm keeping it, I'm keeping it lean this time because it's like, there's just not enough. There's just, um, I got to bring some money home because I have to make another record. Right, right. Uh, I can't get in the situation I was in last time. That was part of the learning process. Of course. You know, I don't know if if I don't know if five people are going to show up or or five hundred people are going to show up. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. I don't know what this record has in store, but I just have to be ready. And I love touring, and I have a great set of agents that work their asses off, and I have a great manager that works his ass off. I work my ass off, <laughs> you know. And um, what it's really about is the tour. Somebody, somebody from the world of punk rock said that that you know, for, like we used to tour to make records. Now we make records to tour. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, or something, something along. I I probably screwed that up. But like, you know, the tour for me is really what it's all about. Um, getting out there and getting the music in front of people. Yeah, and just talking to them, mm -hmm. like hanging out and and meeting the people that 
gave a shit enough to come and see you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cause it's but, different. It's different that live interaction with them, just in conversation at the merch table, you know, or from the stage, you know, it's different from getting a like or a comment on the internet. It's much more dude, personal. It's so, it's so hard for me to remember that somebody's going to be in town mm -hmm. and make that plan and show up on time. <laughs> That's hard for me. Like, well, when I'm home, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because when I'm when I'm home, it's like, I guess my uh, my sort of day to day life is a little different. But like, right. I really appreciate it when people come to a fucking gig. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And and like, the fact that they paid enough attention to know to show up on a certain day at a certain time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. especially with how bombarded everybody is with information. Right. Yeah. Right. What a, what a fucking, what a, what an honor for everybody that shows up to a show. And I hope if anybody's listening, I hope they'll show up to a show. It'll be, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and I'm going to play for an hour and a half, two hours every night. And I'm going to play from all my records and I'm going to play well, as much of this new record as I possibly can. I think I can do the whole thing, which is the first time in a while that I've actually, I think it speaks to the record that I can play, you know, because there's always like songs that worked on the record that just don't work live. Right. Mm -hmm. Of course. I think, I think all of these work live. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Like, I think I can pull them off and, and I'm going to do my best to, to play them all and also play like, you know, a smattering of things from every other record. I got to practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to go back through so, all the old stuff too, you know. And, yeah, and get, it gets harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the more the more of a catalog you have, the more you have to go back and refer to. You know, that's why you, know, you find a lot of, you know, older bands once they've been doing it for twenty, thirty years, like you pretty much for the most part. Prompter here, you know. They've got a prompter by the monitor. Yep. <laughs> that's a lot of words. Oh yeah. Once in a while, they'll throw in a B side or, or something just to just to keep it interesting for themselves more than anything. But yeah, I mean, it, it gets tougher when you have more material when you have more people expecting certain songs at a certain point in the set. You know, to have to. Crack I'm always blown them. away. I'm always the few people that come up to me and say, "I wish you had played this song or this song." Uh -huh. um, maybe it speaks to like the the tiny but mighty audience that i've been able to sort of cobble together uh -huh. i'm always really i'm always really taken aback by the the songs that they say i wish you would have played because mm -hmm. they're always deep cuts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's never like it's never like um a song that really got pushed right like as a single uh -huh. when you th when you think you have a single you're probably wrong right yeah i hear that from so many people i hear that from there was uh Back in November, we had a band on uh, named Eversoul, and the first single they released, they almost didn't record, you know. And mm. you know, I, I I was surprised to hear that because it's it's a song called Secrets Untold, and it's just a really strong opening statement to them as a band. It was the first single they ever released, and they almost it almost you know hit the cutting room floor. It's amazing how that happens a lot of the time. You know, they didn't think mm. it was anything, and it ended up, you know, it's gotten them some traction even internationally now. That's good. I mean, even when you think, when you when you when you don't have high expectations, I mean, the whole business is, the whole, not just business, but the whole situation is just keeping your expectations low, and your grab uh, and your gratitude high, man. Because, because there's just so many people uh, that wish they could 
play music. The people that there's so many people that play music that wish they could tour and put out records, and there's so many people. You know, it's like it's a really, it's a really fortunate place to be. Um, to be in, you know, because it's not, it's not, it's not granted or guaranteed. Right, right, and even from album to album, you know, from project to project, you just. No, I've, yeah. I've seen, I've seen how like, I've seen how like a, uh, a weak album cycle can derail you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but but also it's about endurance. It's really about endurance. Yeah. This is what I tell my, I tell myself every day. You know, what I've been. I've been probably playing gigs since 2007 mm-hmm. and I've I've been releasing albums since 2012 and um the amount of sort of bands or people that were in the game that are now out of the game oh yeah totally I've cycled through generations of 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 peers and confidence and so the fact that I'm still in it and you know if you have a bad <laughs> if you have a bad year or a bad week or a bad album you just got to make the next one because you never know what's on the next side of it and that's why i like dylan you know yeah i mean look, look just look at look look at it like if dylan puts out a if dylan ever put out a less than um incredible album you can bet your ass that the next one was going to be was going to make up for it right right well there are always things to be learned from those cycles you know that don't go the way plan and there's a certain toughness that you have to develop you know to outlast all these factors you know that could work against you you know even life factors you know we're very fortunate to be able to pick up something creative and take it to a point where it becomes the thing that we do there are so many things there are so many bumps in the road that could derail that you know for mm-hmm. any of us as human beings and there is a certain resilience that you need to have to do this as long as you've been doing, you know, to do this. I, I've been doing this show since 2013 and believe mm-hmm. me, there's been a lot really? of stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In one form or another, I've been doing this since 2013 and that's cool, man. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah thanks. And you know, it's, but it's, you know, it hasn't been easy. You know, there've absolutely mm-hmm. been points along the way where it's like, I could stop now. And you know, maybe even like points along the way where it's like, I should stop now, but you know, now I, I feel like I've come to the point where it's like, okay, like this is just kind of ingrained, but certainly, you know, as you're going through the process and you're learning, it really does test your metal. You know, it really does test like, how bad do you want to do this? You know, how bad do you want this to be a part of your life? Mm. Yeah. I, I fantasize about walking away from it sometimes. I think we, we mentioned that when we were on the phone before we did, when we sat down to talk about this. Yeah. Like that's like sometimes on the tough days, that's like my fantasy. Is just kind of like not doing it, but I'm, I'm I haven't had another job in like six years, and some somehow this has sustained me. I have no idea. I mean, it's gotten pretty close. Uh huh. <laughs> Don't we all? Uh huh. Ooh, it's gotten yeah. gnarly, and there's still there's still a mountain of debt uh, oh, to contend with. Mm-hmm. But um, that's usually when things pick up. Right. So. And to travel is probably the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And to go play shows is probably the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. And to write a song, that moment where you kind of get excited because you're like, you got one on the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you got to just not get too excited because you might scare it away. Right. And when you're reeling it in, it's like there's nothing, there's nothing more thrilling 
I haven't, I haven't, I haven't felt that way in a minute because I've had to kind of turn off that brain. Mm-hmm. I've been more like I've been, you know, I've been journaling. Now I journal every day and I write down all of my little ideas and I make little, little recordings of like little guitar parts I like, you know, and I kind of put those into a, put all that into into a box uh-huh. to break out later when I need the inspiration. Right. But I'm not actively writing songs right now because I've got a ton. And it takes so long to put out a record. Right, right. And sometimes it gets hard to manage if you let them build up too much. You know, that, that's a hard thing. I think maybe in the future, hopefully, it will be a situation where we can... People in hip-hop, you know, they, they record a song and they put it out. Mm-hmm. And they're less concerned with the album cycle. Right. And it's just more like, you know, it's a constant stream of consciousness and sharing. And I hope our, whether it be rock and roll or Americana or whatever genre we're talking about um that would be really freeing just to be able to do that um and it's and the time is now i'm in a contract so i have to kind of abide by it um but that's i'm towards the end of it mm-hmm. um we'll see what happens if yeah. this record does well <laughs> maybe i'll have you know who knows it's a scary world where you have to get a million streams to pay what used to be about 300 records to make 4000 bucks and everybody says, be patient, the streaming thing will pick up. But I don't know, man. I mean, if you could sell two or 300 records, you could make like four grand. Mm-hmm. And it takes a million streams to pay for that. And I understand that like once the, once the wave of streaming builds, apparently it continues on. But I do worry. I do worry for everybody trying to make a living in music, like how it's going to sustain us. For sure. I mean, the game has certainly changed. You know, the industry itself has changed. And you're seeing artists have to find their, find endorsements, have to, having to find other hustles, having to really push in all these other ways that they didn't necessarily have to worry about before. You know, it used to be, okay, you, you write the songs, you put out the record, you sell the record, you know. <laughs> you know, especially if you're signed to a major label and then they give you enough love, you know, at that point, you know, it becomes... You know, it becomes a game that someone else is managing. But now, it's it's a constant independent hustle, you know. And the way people consume music and how that's changed has certainly made it more difficult to make money off of the product itself. You know, there are all these little side pieces that have to go into it now. But, you know, and at the end of the day, and maybe we should kind of let it go after... After this, I'd be curious to know what you have to say about it. But like at the end of the day, if the song is good, it's going to travel. That's very true. That's very true. And so nothing's really changed. Mm -hmm. For sure. I mean, I think like, you know, if something's going to resonate, it's going to resonate. You know, if, you know, all all it takes is to get into into enough hands, into enough ears, you know, and to be relevant enough accessible enough and relevant enough to those people for it to travel, right? I feel like, in general, the industry is shifting back to wanting something authentic and real again. You know, I feel like the artists I talk to, all the industry people I talk to, like, and I'm not knocking the three-minute pop song, but everyone's kind of heard enough three-minute pop songs for the time being. Like, everybody I talk to and I encounter really wants something that they can really just grab a hold of and dig into again and really feel like they're getting to know the person and, and the feeling behind it. A lot can be accomplished in three minutes. Well, that's um, true as well. 
I mean, I know what I know. I know what you mean. But you get back into like the sort of the, the golden age of what I consider to be like the golden age of 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 music. You get back to like Memphis in the fifties or something, right? You get back to like a lot of that or old folk music. There are worlds contained in in those three minutes, and it doesn't have to just be repetition. You yeah. can say a lot more in a simple sentence sometimes than you can in. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to learn to be less wordy. Right. I've been very wordy in the past. I'm trying to learn a little bit more about yeah. brevity. Well, yeah, and it's all in the delivery of it, right? You know, it's all in how it's delivered, how the soundscape around it supports that, you know, supports whatever you're trying to get across. You know, if it's delivered in a way that's dynamic and impactful, it doesn't have to be war and peace. You know, it can be this simple you know a simple statement that just makes you go huh you know really make and then from there your mind can take that in whatever direction it related to it you know well yeah you got to leave some room for the listener or the reader you can't take up you you have to create space for them and that's that's a hard that's a hard part Mm -hmm. sometimes if you feel like there's no one listening though you can you know creating an isolation maybe the reason people tend to gravitate towards an artist's first record or at least be interested in it is the fact that like they were making it kind of in a bubble, but it's really also important to be able to like turn off the brain that worries about like the business in the past. Maybe I think I've done a pretty good job of like not being too concerned, letting the art kind of lead itself and not really being too concerned with, um, you know, anybody that's ever tried to quote, write a hit knows what knows how that turns out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's some people that it works for, but I've I've written my share of songs without choruses. Christopher Paul Stelling, uh, thank you for joining us here today on the Quinn's. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Um, before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to tell people where they can learn more about you online, uh, so they can look you up. Oh yeah, it's really easy these days. Uh, that you, as long as you know my name, you'll be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the beauty of of the internet my name is my website all of the things itunes and spotify and itunes isn't even a thing anymore spotify and apple music and oh all the things i'm going to be everywhere on tour um except not nashville i chose memphis uh i had to pick yeah yeah uh for this for this up yeah yeah i had to pick and i you know memphis is uh Memphis, um, I, I just did Nashville with Sun Little, um, mm-hmm. and Memphis is, uh, you don't always get the opportunity to play there, so when you do, it's a special one. Yeah. But I will be through, uh, you know, all of the southeast and the northeast and the northwest and the southwest and and all of the middle, and um, I'll be in uh, all across Europe, and, and um, I got a lot of music videos and live videos and oh, stuff. Mm-hmm. All the stuff, and the new record is out. Uh, we're recording this a little in advance, but it's out. It'll be out by the time this uh, arrives. Yep, yep. Best of Luck is out now, released on yeah, there you February seventh. And I, uh, yeah, that weirds me out that you would say that it's out now. I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah, but it is. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 ta- we're speaking in the future right now, so we're 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 okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, something could happen in the world that we failed to acknowledge between now and then. And let's hope it, yeah, let's hope it doesn't. And everything's still, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we keep the, 
keep the wheels on the road. Yeah. And, uh, well, thank you, man. This has been a real, uh, a real treat. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. And everybody out there, make sure you check out Best of Luck, the new one from Christopher Paul Stelling, ChristopherPaulStelling.com. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much, man. All right. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, one and all, Christopher Paul Stelling joining us today on the Quinn Spin. I want to thank Christopher for taking the time out of his day. I want to thank Anti Records, of course, for helping set that up. Go to ChristopherPaulStelling.com to find out more about the tour and the new album, Best of Luck, which came out earlier this month here in February. So we have plenty of fun still to come throughout 2020 here on the Quinn Spin. Jason Threm going to be joining us next, the first Monday of March. So make sure that you tune in on Monday, March 2nd to hear our great conversation with Jason. I'm really excited about this one. And of course, visit the Quinn Spin on Spotify, Anchor Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, Anchor, and more. Pick your poison, subscribe wherever you'd like. Also follow the show on Instagram at Quinn Spin Official. Facebook and Twitter. Also go to undergroundmusiccollective.com, our central hub for all things Quinn Spin and more. Also follow UMC on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The Mad Sugars, we want the night. That's our closing theme, Nashville-based dance rock band. I'm going to let Adam and company take it away. There's no telling what the night brings down. 